Yeah, it's going to be crazy no matter what, but whether it's counting or just some sort of beautiful word poetry, who's to say? Mm. I'm going to tell you, this is my second podcast recording today, and I am probably running out of words in my brain, but we can do it. Well, you, we'll, we'll, uh, we got some words. I believe in us. Alan, should we, should we pitch a few word ideas just to... Yeah, throw some words at me. Magnificent. Preemptively replenish. Great, great. Yeah. Horny. Transcendent. Mm-hmm. Um, Transcendently horny. Uh, Montreal. Mm. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, funny. Funny. Um, Uniqlo. Subversive. Okay, got it. Okay. I think this is, I think we got it. Okay, cool. Okay. Welcome to Watching Movies at the Bar, a podcast about bar movies and movie bars. Uh, I'm Bethy Squires, and with me as always is Thomas Grabinski. Thomas, how are you? Bethy, I'm doing so well. I uh, recently adopted a tiny, tiny boy, uh, a small, not a human child, a cat. Uh, His name is Little Bones, and I'm uh, watching him do his thing across the room. Couldn't be happier. So we got Little Bones in the mix. And returning champion Alan Strickland Williams is here. Alan, oh, wow. how's it going? Good. I didn't even know I was a champion, so I'm great now. Fuck. We don't invite losers back on the podcast, Alan. Okay. You have okay. to have one year episode. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, great. Awesome. Yeah. For any right. listeners who may have forgotten, Alan beat my ass last time he was here. Like just full on dragged my ass across the pavement. I thought we talked about a movie. Uh but I guess I I guess I got drunk or something. I forget. I'm sorry, guys. Alan had his first espresso martini and beat my ass when we finished recording. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I saw that picture of Larry David drinking one in New York, and I was like, "Ooh, <laughs> that looks pretty." Wait, there's a picture of Larry David drinking an espresso I martini. I thought that's why everyone started talking about espresso martinis. There was one day where, like, I think it was when he was with Timothy Chalamet. And, it is with Timothy Chalamet. And, and, and <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, that's when I noticed all espresso martini. And and it is funny because that's the new drink. Like, I forget who I was with recently, but I was with someone. They ordered espresso martini. I was like, are we on an episode of Suddenly Susan right now? Like, this is like, <laughs> to me, it's like, it's like you might as well order an apple teeny or something. That's great. I love it. Hey, what's wrong with an apple teeny, man? I love it. I've heard that espresso martinis are kind of over now, and just a martini martini is the new drink. Well, a martini martini is like, come on, you never left. Real real ones never left. That's true. I read a an article that was like, in a sort of in the same way that people were smoking more. Mm. Um, after lockdown, people are drinking martinis because they're so anti-wellness. Like, I'm putting poison, <laughs> it's straight poison in my body uh, on purpose because I would like to feel invulnerable, please. Um, that's great. Also, I, we're very on theme, not to totally run the podcast, but I mean, we're talking espresso, martinis, and apple tea. We're, we're talking about girl drinks. We're getting girl drink drunk over here. We're getting girl drink drunk over here. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So Alan is here, uh, as, as you just alluded to, to talk about Kids in the Hall Brain Candy, the new episodes of Kids in the Hall on Amazon, I think are coming out. 
either this week or like very soon. May 13th, I think. I don't know what day it is that you're listening to this. I can't be in control of when people hear things. (laughs) That's not for me to decide. But uh, this episode is pegged to the return of Kids in the Hall. So I wanted to talk about what was like their least favorite experience to make, but one of my favorite experiences to watch brain candy. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm excited to be here because uh, my only prior exposure to kids in the hall was like four sketches. Bethy showed me at her apartment. Oh, three wow. Years ago. So oh, yeah. brain candy was like, I-, I was pretty blind going into this. Um, That's crazy. And it wasn't, quite what i expected so i'm excited to hear both of you talk about it and you know maybe chime in myself alan what was your experience with kids in the hall how did you come to know of them my experience with kids in the hall is that my friend well it would re what was it playing on was it playing on comedy central Mm -hmm. reruns back in the day so i would come home from junior high and junior high was awesome because we got out or wait one of the i forget what it was but we got out of we got out of school out of like one something insane so then we would just go me and my friend carl and with his older brother would always be watching kids in the hall so then we would watch it and then through that i just sort of saw like every kids in the hall thing loved them i remember seeing them when they they did like a reunion tour Mm -hmm. this must have been i was in la interning so this was 2007 I remember that, and then through comedy, you know, seeing them here and there, like I've like Scott Thompson. I love Scott Thompson, and he he's doing Buddy Cole shows, and he like actually do your shows and stuff. And I ran a show that people would want to do at the time, so actually got to like interact with him too. But yeah, basically just basically started with the reruns, and then you know they're so fucking weird and hilarious, and um. Also, even even back then, it's kind of like, I guess I was a little bit of a comedy snob. Not that I didn't <laughs> also watch schlockier shit, but I remember realizing that Kids in the Hall was weird and liking that it was weird. There is stuff in it that I knew at the time I didn't get. Mm. And there is stuff watching Brain Candy that I was like... I remember not getting this and now I get it (laughs) because I was like too young or whatever. I want to, I can't wait to find out what some of those were, but as far as uh, speaking of of getting high, I started watching kids in the hall when I was in elementary school. Oh, nice. (laughs) Again, on that syndicated run. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good transition, Bethy. Thank you. My mom saw a sketch where Kevin McDonald, was a guy who was addicted to tea, like drinking tea. <laughs> mm-hmm. And my mom said, tea is a street name for marijuana. This is a drug metaphor, Elizabeth, and you will not watch oh, the wow. show ever again. And it was oh, the wow. only thing that I wasn't allowed to watch as a kid was Kids in the Hall. That's crazy. I did anyway. I would hide under a desk in like my um, like playroom in our house and watch it. Like hiding, I think, because I thought if anyone came in the room, they would just see the TV on for no reason and not think that there was a little Bethy rule breaker anywhere <laughs> in the room. I was like, I will hide, and this will definitely, this will definitely work for me. Never caught, couldn't catch me. Too fast, too cool. Mm-hmm. Watched all of Kids in the Hall as a as a child. 
Bethy, I must apologize. I thought the transition that you had created was, uh, speaking of smoking weed, I started watching Kids in the Hall in elementary school when I was smoking weed. I, I just, I, I jumped to a conclusion. Also, tea is the, um, lamest slang for any drug. <laughs> that sucks. I think horse might be worse. No, I love horse. I think horse or, is or sick. Or white pony. Yeah. I don't like either of those. White ponies, whatever, but like horse and horse head, that kind of sounds I like sick. anything, anything equine. <laughs> I like, I like that. I don't like tea. Well, because I'm hearing it as the word, not the letter. If it was just the letter T, I'd probably even be more okay with that. But <laughs> something about T, it's just like, it's so lame. I don't know. It's T. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Tell your mom to shut up. I'll get right on that. I mean, I did. <laughs> sorry. I don't. Sorry. No, I definitely told my mom to shut up in a Chili's at least once. Like, you know, <laughs> that's water under the bridge. That's very Indiana. If your mom is like my mom and she secretly listens to podcasts, then I just want to say, I'm sorry, Bethy's mom. Oh, I haven't told her this podcast exists. This one's secret. Oh, she knows, though. Fuck. <laughs> I've been emailing your mom the raw files on the side. <laughs> Damn it, Peggy Lou. Oh, well. So, and then Thomas, you only saw like the couple, like, I feel like I showed you like all the Francesca Fiore sketches one day or something. Yeah. And I, I don't even have a clear recollection of that other than I know that this is something near and dear to you. Also, so many people I respect and love are like huge kids in the hall heads. And it was just, it was something I missed growing up. Uh, I missed a lot of stuff growing up. So this was your first watch of Brain Candy. Yes. Um, how did you find it? I was surprised by how much of like a movie it is. I was expecting it to be more like sketch oriented. And I think I was also, ex- or, or at least structurally, I was expecting it to be more sketch oriented. I was also expecting it to have less on its mind. The way that it tackles sort of like uh, the pharmaceutical industry, but also like like the nature of self-medication, there's a lot of cool stuff going on. Yeah, I think most people were not expecting the movie to be as sort of thinky as it was, uh, kind of to the to the movie's detriment, because Paramount, I was reading a history of making the movie, and they were like, Paramount thought they were getting Tommy Boy, and instead they got Brazil, <laughs> and they were kind of pissed. Yeah, that's crazy, though, because like, there's no way they were going to get Tommy Boy. <laughs> Like, I mean, you know because I mean? Lauren produced it, they thought that it would be like a Lauren joint. Yeah, well, I mean, and it was, but it's like, but it's still going to be a Kids in the Hall movie. Like, that's all I mean. It's just like, Kids in the Hall never in a million years would make a movie like, like Tommy Boy. That just like wouldn't happen. I mean, there's also like, wasn't Dave Foley didn't, wasn't even really one of the writers because he was doing news radio at the time. It definitely, it was kind of funny because it definitely seemed like it, didn't please really anyone <laughs> at the time because like it wasn't full on kids in the hall or whatever and it wasn't you know it definitely wasn't tommy boy or whatever but it was so funny when i watched it because i was like two it was like two things one it was it was just like hanging out with an old friend because i was like oh my god i remember watching this over and over and over and saying this line, push-ups all day, you and me. (laughs) Like, that was something that me and my friend would do all the time, constantly, constantly, constantly. 
And then like the monkey, make the monkeys jack. Like there is like these little <laughs> lines. I was like, oh my God, I forgot that this is what that was from. But the other thing, and this kind of goes to what you were saying, Thomas, is like, it fucking reminded me of, and this could mean different things for different people, but it really reminded me of like, don't look up <laughs> or idiot or idiocracy or it reminded me of a movie like that where it's like, oh yeah, this is about one thing and blowing it up to like a huge massive scale and then just watching people deal with it. Um, and obviously a lot of very sketchy, ridiculous over the top situations and characters and stuff. But yeah, it was definitely interesting. I also was thinking about like in the vein of the show, like, is this a good bar movie? <laughs> or is this like, I don't know. I, 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 I guess I don't really know, actually. I think because it's a cult item and a curio, it feels like the kind of movie people would like, the real heads would talk about over four beers. Right, right, right. Yeah. I think because it has such a strong like visual language, it's a good bar movie because even if you don't know what's going on, there's like cops in like pvc vinyl police uniforms and like they they did that on purpose i was reading um the costume designer everybody who was on the drug dressed like they were on the brady bunch essentially like they they had a strong (laughs) color sense for everybody who was on the drug were like day glow smiley face new rave look yeah, I like that. That's really cool. When I was watching this, it felt like a, a big influence on that final season of Search Party um, when they're creating mm-hmm. the drug with Jeff Goldblum and it just becomes this like yes. big carnivalesque corporate enterprise. It, it felt very tonally similar to that absurdism. And we talked about this before in an episode with Dave Schilling, but when I saw RoboCop, I was reminded of Brain Candy because it's another movie where there's an emotional victory for the protagonist but the world stays shitty yeah 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 nothing actually gets solved so let's let's do a little plot overview brain candy it's a movie with the kids in the hall troop so that's scott thompson kevin mcdonald bruce mccullough dave foley and mark mckinney so they all play like a bunch of different characters they each play like around 10 characters in the movie the movie stars kevin mcdonald as Chris Cooper, the actor from American Beauty, just kidding, um, <laughs> the scientist. He's a scientist at a pharmaceutical company. And the company is downsizing. So he has to make a case for his compound that they're working on this cure for depression that locks onto your happiest memory and sort of plays it for you all the time. And because they're going through downsizing, Dr. Cooper lies and says that the drug is ready for production right now. So it gets pushed through development by the head of the company. Lauren Michaels. Lauren Michaels. (laughs) (laughs) Mark McKinney doing his Lauren Michaels impression. Which is, I love his Lauren Michaels impression. It's so good. Well, It's also funny too, because I'm like, fuck, this is where Dr. Evil came from this movie. Like all that, like there, there really was so much like that. And then also just even hearing the log line again, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's like about SSRIs. (laughs) It's so funny. (laughs) So the drug becomes a huge hit. Uh, Chris Cooper becomes famous as the creator of this wonder drug. 
best-selling drug and drug variety. They find out they beat penicillin in the sales. Drug variety is so funny. <laughs> I love drug variety. Um, there's one catch, though. About 5% of patients get locked into what they call a joy coma, where they are, like, looping their favorite memory in their mind all the time. And, like, they can't, like, eat or drink or go potty or anything. They're just, like, stuck sort of like this immovable statue. And so Cooper has to warn the world about the drug that he created. And uh, I don't know if you can believe this, but corporate America, they don't like that so much. (laughs) Just say there's some obstacles in his way. There's also, I guess, some various subplots. There's like some interlab romance going on as well. Also, uh, this always comes up of like, I don't know if this, I don't even know if this is, get into the hairy territory or what, but like, it's, they're so good at playing women. I don't know. It's so fun to watch. Like, I don't know why at all. I, like, it's interesting because they, some characters are them mm-hmm. and then some of them are not. And then some of them that aren't are still very funny. So I always kind of wonder like, why is Bruce McCullough a woman this time or not or whatever? And Bruce McCullough specifically, is such a great woman. Like just the like when, <laughs> when she's like the the love interest or or pining for the main scientist guy and she just says Chris <laughs> Chris just over and up Chris it's just so We uh, almost like, kissed. <laughs> Chris Chris <laughs> Yeah, they were kind of known for the fact that when they played women they weren't um going for like a cheap laugh of like a guy right. in a dress. They right. were like known for playing like the nuance of the female characters. One of the one of the best like woman performances in the movie to me is Mark McKinney plays this like insecure teenage girl at a rock show. He mm-hmm. it, it she's like she's barely in it, but like she's just like Bruce McCullough plays this sort of Eddie Vedder, Trent Reznor. I kind of got a Dan- a Danzig vibe. Yeah. Just like a, a role goth or not goth grunge sad boy um, who has a lot of fans. And that song ripped, by the way. I kept <laughs> wanting that song to. I was like, I want to hear that whole song. That riff is the sad good song as hell. or the happy song. <laughs> the sad song. Oh, okay. The sad song. I heard the whole happy song, but yeah, the sad song. Um, anyway, oh, also fun fact: the uh, name of the venue because it's you know the movie's all about like depression or whatever. The name of the venue where that band is playing is called club suicide i (laughs) I love that (laughs) but mark mckinney is playing this like fan and and he's like copying like the hotter like more confident girls he like copies how they're dancing he's like he's like looking over and it's such like a sweet performance of insecurity that he does of somebody who's like really trying to hang in there to be cool like these cool girls yeah i think the one girl like puts the cigarette out on her arm and he's like oh my god i don't know they're all so so funny i i what i was going to mention was um scott thompson plays (laughs) it's really funny because at first it's like it's it's kind of maybe it would be problematic but then you it's a guy who's closeted but it's not just that he's like closeted it's like He's truly so dumb that he doesn't <laughs> realize he's gay. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where it's like, okay, this is like very, very funny. Um, and Scott Thompson is just fucking hilarious. But, um, so that's kind of like, 
I'm trying to think of just all the little things. There's like, there's that and that guy's family. There's the old lady who's like the first test subject. And then basically it's all sort of like Chris getting sucked into the world of like fame and fortune and all that shit. The sort of like, whatever you want to call it, the, the nature of humanity. Thomas, did you have a favorite sort of like side character done by one of the sketch troupe? You know, I did not. (laughs) The movie just kind of washed over me as someone who was uninitiated. And I was kind of more interested in the plot and what it was doing thematically than any of those characters individually. But it made me laugh a lot. Yeah, I, I can also see it being hard to like keep everybody separate if you're not used to seeing these like five particular Canadian boys. It's also interesting to hear this was a deviation from the standard kids in the hall because I didn't have that reference point and so I was just like hmm I wonder what this feels like as sketches it's just like it's just a hard, a thing that would have been just so hard to pull off I'm trying to just think of like when has anything ever really done this right and the only thing that I can really think of and I don't know if you would say this is a success by any means besides the fact that it's also a cult hit is um Wet Hot American Summer Mm-hmm. That's like the closest thing I can think of that like came out of a like group that, you know, and yes, it was Kids in the Hall and Brain Candy, but it's still a movie as opposed to a sketch show where like, you know, on the show, they would come out and like talk directly to the audience. Like something like that is not going to happen in the movie. I was really surprised because I remember, I guess maybe I just got colored by the opinion of, oh, it wasn't a hit. So it was bad. Because I watched it and I had such a good time watching it. Like I was laughing so hard. I was, I was like, Oh my God, I remember this line. I remember that bit. If you have, if you're any listeners out there haven't revisited it, give it a go. Yeah. It was like buried on release. Um, we can get a little bit into the background of that now. Okay. And you know, Colin, if you'll be so kind as to splice in like whatever your favorite part of the, huge fight that gene siskel and roger ebert had about this movie on at the movies oh shit oh i wish i watched that before we recorded i'm gonna i'm gonna hold space for that to go here the drag stuff was so, so what what do we okay. so what if it's they're funny no, no, why no, is no, it funny? funny why is it funny that they're in drag it's not funny that they're in drag no, i've no, knocked not, pictures not, where people have no, been no, in drag no, when they're not no, funny. No, i'm no, saying no, obviously they're, they're, in they're, drag they're, and they're not funny you didn't get the stuff about the the drug and oh i caught on i caught on I, what just, happened roger just, we're different universes here we can't talk what? about it can't talk about it. it's not funny i didn't laugh we once. get paid to talk about it roger okay. who came down on which side Siskel loved it. Ebert gave it one star. He fucking hated it. Uh, <laughs> I love. I. It's so funny because Ebert does get you know obviously all the love and it's very warranted. But I always just loved Siskel. I think just because his name's Siskel and he seemed mean or something. Um, I guess they both did. Also, just it just went around like someone just posted how crazy their intro is for the old Siskel and Ebert oh, yeah. show. Just on YouTube, just look up this. It's like, it's like they're popping up out of a like manhole in like the middle of the ground. And one is like getting off a bus. It's like Chicago. It's just so insane. They're like at that one bridge that's in like every Batman movie. Uh So to get into the background of the movie, 
this they made it after their show got canceled after five seasons or they were done making it after five seasons. I'm not sure which. And while making it, things got pretty bad between all of them. Dave Foley left the troupe like completely, partially because okay. he was doing news radio and then partially because he just is too much. They, they, they're just beefing all the time, like really upset. Uh, he only is in the movie because he's contractually obligated to be in the movie. He would leave set the minute his scenes were done. The the scene um, Scott Thompson talks about, um, you know, the scene where uh, Scott Thompson's like old lady character, her happiest memory is like a 45 second Christmas visit from <laughs> her son played uh-huh. by Dave Foley. Uh, and he said that they rewrote that whole thing in the van to the location, but they weren't speaking to each other at the time. They were not speaking words to each other. So they were passing notes back and forth because they refused oh to like utter words to each other. But they did both care about like the scene enough to work together to fix it. That's so nuts. I I I didn't realize that that, that there is that animosity going on behind the scenes, which makes a lot of sense given the fact that the show was over, given that a couple of them had differing levels of like success going on outside of it or new ventures. Like McKinney went to SNL for a bit. Mm-hmm. Foley was news radio. Um, Scott was on Larry Sanders. Scott was on Larry Sanders. That's right. Oh my God. Scott was still going on Larry Sanders. But I did not realize that. I, and now looking back I, on the movie, I'm kind of like, Hmm. You can definitely tell because it's such a, just sort of massive, like, especially like the intro when I'm like, oh my God, how many characters are they going to introduce and just like play off of each other? What, like, I would actually, I kind of actually want to get into the story now, but that's really, really interesting. Well, but it's also so funny too, because it's like, well, now they're making a new show on Amazon. We know that they, we know that obviously whatever was the problem was, was worked through. Yeah. It took about four years for them to get over it and like for all of their shows to get canceled. And <laughs> yeah, then they're like, true. you know what? Fuck it. We do still like each other. Like, w- like we used to hate each other, but we always loved each other. Like that was like th- what they say. They kept sort of comparing, <laughs> like multiple people on the production compared the making of Brain Candy to the replacements making Tim. Which was like oh, their interesting breakup album. Okay, that's a that's an interesting side entry point. Just because one thing I did want to talk about was just how cool the soundtrack was. Oh, it's so and, cool. And that and like I, I like I heard a They Might Be Giant song. I think there's pavement in there, and that was one thing too that I also didn't realize at the time watching Kids in the Hall. But something that I definitely realized now is I was like, oh, Kids in the Hall was like alt. Mm-hmm. Like Kids in the Hall was like it, like and not even like. All comedy, I think, is kind of a different thing now, maybe, but it was, you know, their, the, the theme song was all weird and it was all weird shadows and the, and the interstitials and stuff. I remember that. I, like, I, I, I didn't realize how much, I didn't realize how much of a, like, unique thing that it truly was. I'm going to read what Kevin McDonald said about making it and, and, like, how dark it got for them. He said, uh, We had gone and done probably the stupidest thing we could do for our feature film debut, a comedy about depression. (laughs) Then my girlfriend (laughs) Tiffany left me, my best friend in the troupe Dave and I broke up, and then my brother, my brother-in-law and Scott's brother kill themselves. 
It must have affected my thinking because at one point I wanted to write a scene about the lead character's childhood and I came up with a funny bit about the father killing himself. <laughs> <laughs> Which I loved, by the way. Oh, I that's the part that I was quoting today, like to Colin. I would just turn to him like throughout the day and go, What about the gun. The gun. Did you um, clean the gun? Well, yeah, because that's what that's that's why he makes the drug, right? Because his dad was sad. That's so funny. Um, and uh, and yeah, there's the flashback where the dad uh, also like Kevin McDonald is a perfectly depressed dad and like just hunching over more and more with each passing second. And then like as he's going up the steps, the briefcase opens and all this stuff falls out. And he just keeps walking. I was like, this is so funny. Just dumb physical comedy. I love it so much. As he's describing that tragedy though. And he says, and two hours later, uh, <laughs> he had just been firing the gun at himself unsuccessfully. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, I, it made me think of hot rod, which is a movie yeah. I adore deeply, but there is oh, yeah. the bit where it's, it's clearly inspired directly by this, but Andy Samberg is talking about how his dad died. Um, he did like a big motorcycle jump crashed. His face exploded out the back of his skull and he died instantly the next day. Um, I I think about died instantly the next day all the time. Yeah, that's good. And then they got into beef with Paramount because of Cancer Boy. Paramount really hated Cancer Boy, and they sent Bruce McCullough in to like fight the executives about it because he he was the scrapper of the troop. Yeah. And yeah. so they kept Cancer Boy in, but then slashed the promotional budget kind of as revenge. It's like, fine, you can have Cancer Boy. What you won't get is a box office gross. So they buried it. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, that, and that's the type of thing, too, where it's like, it just so fucks with, like, the perception of the movie. Because if this movie had, say, this also is a reason why it reminded me specifically of something like Don't Look Up or, or Idiocracy. So I'm like, that's the movie you should see. You don't need to see that movie in the theater. I'm sorry. I'd like not to take away from like the movie going experience, but you know, at your home or maybe at a bar, that's where you could watch it and have a better time doing so. Do we know what it was up against? Like, can you <laughs> imagine what was it like top fucking Forrest Gump? Like what year did this even come out? 96, right? Yeah. 96. Okay. So it's like, what? Well, yeah. What, I don't even know what that would be, but I'm that's just so up. funny. <laughs> the fact that. It, yeah. Last of the Mohicans and it's and like Happy candy. Gilmore and Nutty Professor were like two of the biggest. Ooh, okay, interesting. But and think about, I mean, those are the other comedies. Like, come on, that's insane. I think this has like <laughs> more in common with Vim Vendors until the end of the world than it has with Happy Gilmore. You know, it's like trafficking in similar themes. Which brings in sort of the Lord Michaels of it all. So, like mm-hmm. this movie. Is produced by Lorne Michaels, and there's the the villainous character who is like irredeemably horrible, <laughs> is just a Lorne Michaels impression, and I find that so interesting that two different movies within like two years of each other had super villains based on Lorne Michaels. <laughs> yeah, well, and I was thinking about that too. I'm like, oh, Lorne Lorne Michaels is Canadian, so I guess like he saw something in these guys. And still does, obviously. But like the fact that Mark then went to SNL and did, did any of the other ones go to to be writers for a minute? Bruce wrote for a bit. Bruce wrote. Okay. Yeah. So they were there. And then also at the same time was when like Mike Myers and Dana Carvey were there because also Dana Carvey apparently 
has a Mike Myers or Lauren Michaels impression. Mm-hmm. And apparently that's a thing with like Dana and Mike Myers is that Dana's convinced that Mike Myers stole it from Dana or something <laughs> like that. I like was, but I'm like, Marx is clearly the superior Lauren Michaels. If we're talking about actually sounded like a, uh, oh wait, should I tell? I have a, I have a Mike Myers story related to kids in the hall that I feel like I should tell it. But let me tell you before. Absolutely. This was told to me by one of the kids. I don't know if I want to say which one. I guess it doesn't. No, no, I won't say. <laughs> but so anyway, apparently Mike Myers, obviously Canadian. Apparently he used to go to every kids in the hall life show and wanted to be in the kids in the hall so, so bad and like begged them and would like literally like they would make him or not make him, but they would like take advantage of him and like have him like set up chairs and like pass out shit and like bark for them and stuff. And always kind of like promising them like, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. And then like, they're all behind their back, like we're never going to let Mike Myers do this. <laughs> and that was told to me like in the spirit of, and look where Mike Myers is. And look, I'm talking to you right now in this shitty bar. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it was, it was so with humility. But anyway, I just, um, I wanted to make sure I remembered that. Yeah. He, Mike Myers talks about being like a, kids in the hall stan in his memoir oh really which my microphone is resting on right now yeah he was like kids in the hall super fan and his brother wrote like the definitive book on them okay cool those canadians man it's like <laughs> so many funny people it's just crazy i interviewed bruce mccullough earlier this week and i asked him whether he thinks that there's like a specific canadian like comedy sensibility because that's always like a that's like a matter of debate amongst like Canadian comedians and like Canadian comedy fans, whether there is like a, a unifying aesthetic. And he said that there kind of is and that it's that Canadians are observers. Like they are, yeah. their comedy is based on observation more than um, participating in bits. Like it's not creating the scene. It is based on more observation of the world. Yeah, I like that. I mean, the way it even starts is like, it's the cab driver being like, let me tell you a story. Yeah. Like it, it is very like, you feel like the fly on the wall or whatever. Yeah. Well, I was thinking just like, because I think I was more aware of this as a kid, like the, the uproar about like Prozac, people were like truly losing their minds about Prozac in the early nineties. I knew I was aware of it because my mom was a therapist. So like she had like opinions and like. This guy I knew had like a indie comics t-shirt that was like all these like blank faced people. And it was like, it was like a fake ad for Prozac that I was going to turn you into like sheeple. Yeah. That, that is funny how that, like, you know, that sort of Bruce McCullough's rock star hit that's his old arc because he's like, you know, pain is good and like being happy sucks or whatever. He says fuck happy. Fuck happy. <laughs> yeah. I, well, and that's what I love about it too is that it's like, that is a very childish it's just as childish to want to be happy all the time but um that really like locked me into like i was like oh yeah also i probably liked a lot of this type of comedy because i was going through puberty and fucking hated everything and myself and like this also seems like it comes from the point of view of kind of hating everything (laughs) and yourself um the mechanic of the drug gleeminex is interesting because what it does is it latches on to your happiest memory and like plays it in the background of your mind all the time. Like after you take one pill, I guess you're like that forever. 
Yeah, and I love I love how they sort of glossed over it, which is also kind of like again, all this stuff is I do think like more prescient than even we realize, but it's like well, it, it draws out your happiest moment chemically, and then it freezes it forever chemically. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like all the wellness bullshit speak that we hear all the time, and like some about chakras or whatever. It's all just like you know chemically. But yeah, I, I also, I loved the, like, in addition to the mechanics of it, and, and that's sort of part of the drug, but the marketing of it, when they get into the, the part where it's like a big question about like what color it's going to be, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, that is actually where they spend most of their time thinking probably. It's like, what color should this, sure, our cute little Toby <laughs> It looks beautiful. Like I wanted to eat them while I was watching I the movie. To, I, they both both the raw state and the like mass produced pill look so fucking tasty. I want to eat both of them so bad. The scummies looked good too. <laughs> I also I love any footage of something being made in a factory. Yes, yes, and yes. And they gave yes. us a lot of that. They gave us a lot of that, so I appreciate that. Uh, there there are a couple of transitions in the movie where you just have pills spilling as like a beautiful visual as like you see a time card and i was like this is almost like willy wonka and the chocolate factory or something the way that we're seeing this medicine yeah for real Mm, i'm hungry Mm, medicine (laughs) i think if i was locked into my happiest memory it would either be when i came back to school freshman year like after winter break and got to like reunite with colin Mm -hmm. for the first time or this one time that i had a really good peppermint mocha (laughs) (laughs) in like a basement coffee shop (laughs) i was really hoping it would be that's one time i had a meatball like like a very like equating the love of your life with a with an ingestible object we love that that's I like I like those though. It was a really like it was not just the mocha, obviously. It was also that I was in a really comfortable hoodie and mm-hmm. a long like hippie scar uh, hippie skirt, and like I was in my favorite coffee house reading like a book. I feel like I was reading Raymond Chandler maybe, and I just felt really cool being like this artsy girl drinking her mocha with her like that little scarf cool. on. You were cool. <laughs> you are. You still are. But you, that, that, that all, that all is like, you know, that's like the sign when he's doing the, um, that's also, oh God, it's so stupid. When he's like, when he figures out the, um, the, the, the medicine behind the pill, he's working on this gigantic calculator. <laughs> he's doing all these equations and then he just goes equals and he just writes half. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. It's like if you add up Raymond Chandler and Mocha and Vidi or whatever. Anyway, that's a, that's a good one. Do you boys know what you're, what memory Gleaminex would latch on to? I mean, I, d- I don't know. Like, I was trying to think about this, and not to get dark, but I can't, like, immediately zero in on, like, this just this definitively euphoric moment in my life. But I did think of um, 
There was a night, the second semester of my freshman year of college, where I drank probably like 10 beers or something. And awesome. Yeah, awesome. okay. So we're off to Already a good cool. start. <laughs> this, this sounds awesome. But I am a person who specifically... Oh, that, that theory okay. <laughs> yeah, my chair just fell apart. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Bethy just fell out of her chair. Sorry, no one said anything that funny. Bethy, is this going to become your new memory? Is this what Gleemanex is going to latch on to the time you fell out of your chair? <laughs> No, this is a sad memory because this was my grandpa's chair. Oh, no. Yeah, and it's we fucking toast, it. dude. Yeah, I mean, I'll have to take it somewhere. Like, no, we can we can fix it. The, it, the pegs are broken. Oh, well. We're going to fix it. Oh, yeah. I'm going to fix it. I'm not throwing it away. You'll have to fucking kill me if you want me to throw this away. No, I don't think I would do that. I don't think I'm going to kill you for at least that chair reasons. Um, I'm gonna get a different chair. I'll be right back. Okay. Wow, that's one of the big moments of the podcast. I don't know that anything that crazy has ever happened. I thought she was doing a bit. <laughs> it's not. We can uh, we can have Colin edit it out. We can say Bethy fell out of the chair on purpose. We can make it seem really cool. <laughs> Put in um, a ton of like um, like old timey radio sound effects, like things falling out of the closet and like pans. Uh, falling on the kitchen floor. That would be good. Maybe a boy oy oing. Uh, a boy oy oing. That... <laughs> um, maybe a ah! Like a yeah, yeah, yeah. Yell. I always love that. I always love that yell where it's always like a hit and then it's like ah! Hi. <laughs> Hi. That that makes me think of that thing in Wet Hot American Summer where he uh, throws the pot off screen and you hear it shatter and then the foley for the rest of the movie is anytime something is tossed off screen you just hear the <laughs> pot shatter. Um, yeah. That's good. So you drank 10 beers. Yeah, I mean, we could oh, stop yeah. there. That's huge. But I don't really dance uh, unless I am in like a... 10 beer safe environment. <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't, I don't yeah. think I had had like a night of dancing in my life before that. But I got like, you know, college style drunk and was at a party with someone I really liked and M83's Midnight City came on, and it had, like, just <laughs> come out. Like, that that Hurry Up, We're Dreaming album came out my freshman year of college, and I, I was just, like, euphoric. I was out of my body. There was some combination of, like, a carefree vibe, how drunk I was, and that song just being incredible before you'd heard it a million times, and that mm-hmm. was, like, a really, really great night. So maybe the drug would take me there. What about you, Alan? That's beautiful. I would probably have to say, it's so funny you said that, Tom, because it took me a long time to, to figure out what mine was for the same reason. I was like, I can't remember. And then I was like, oh, I went to Mexico with a bunch of friends. We had a great time. Then it like got crazy because one of my friends had to go to the hospital and everything turned out fine, <clears throat> but it was like just a crazy night. And we were staying in one of those places with like a pool on top. And it was like Puerto Vallarta. It was fucking beautiful. It was great weather. And after everything was okay, I was supposed to go home. And I had like a couple hours to kill, maybe maybe like an hour. And I went up to the pool and there was like those chairs that were like built into the pool. Mm -hmm. And I was just in the pool and I just knew that I was going to fall asleep and miss the flight and not care. (laughs) And... I that's exactly what happened because I felt like everything was crazy and we survived everything that was nuts and it was just like this moment of tranquility where I was just like I'm just gonna I just want this to last longer so I'm like I let me let me get trapped there 
I love that. Yeah. I think that that also sort of hammers home part of why the pill doesn't work is because like just a, a you like unilaterally pleasant memory might not be your happiest. True. Yeah. Like my happiest might be the, the one where I got back to like hanging out with Colin. And that one was like a little bit stressful. Cause like, we weren't sure whether he was going to like come back to school that semester mm. and stuff like that. And then the pleasant one is the peppermint mocha, but that's like so low stakes as to be like, really, that's your happiest the time you had coffee. Well, that's kind of what it's about, though, isn't it? It's like, you know, the whole thing about the movies of, like, you can't be ecstatically happy all the time. It's like a fool's errand to even try to pursue that, which was funny watching because I was like, oh, I need to be reminded of that, actually, because when you're trying to be happy all the time, you're just double depressing yourself because you're not super happy and you're, like, aware of the fact that you're not. So it's better to just – I do think it's it's actually better to re – wire yourself to think about happiness as like calm and maybe like things that are just more pleasant. It's not as sexy maybe or exciting, but I don't know. To, it's like to find value and like contentment beyond like yeah, static joy or whatever. A- absolutely, yeah. And that the movie ends with them finding a pill that latches onto a person's saddest memory. <laughs> so great. As if that's going to, like, they're like, this will fix everything. Now they're just so really great. sad. And that's better. <laughs> I love it because it's such a dumb approach to everything. But also, like, the world is so dumb. Like, everything <laughs> is so stupid. Yes. that it's like, wait, it actually is like this, though. Like, this, it's not even satire. It's just like, it is this way. That the pharmaceutical industry would push through a drug that has serious side effects and can debilitate a statistically significant portion of the population that takes it, and that it's still on the market, nothing changes. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. They they give like a pittance to the families of those affected and do a press conference about how humanitarian they are for throwing pittance at the problem that they caused. It's like, yeah. That's exactly how it goes down, <laughs> correct? It's a documentary, really, that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, I feel like this movie works as a for the podcast because also there's a bar in it. There's a tiki bar yes. scene. Yes, great tiki bar scene. The part where Mark McKinney's like nerd character is trying to remember how who's getting another round of drinks and he has to come back to the table like each time. It's like Baxter, are you in? Baxter, are you in? Uh, that that's that's also a good scene too because that's like when you're not someone that drinks and you think about what it's like to drink, it's like that scene where it's just like one guy's on an elephant and he's just saying like I'm on an elephant. <laughs> like, it's just like very like. Like, one guy can't remember anything. One thing I like about the movie, too, and I think what I like about sketch stuff in general, like, I think you should leave and stuff, is that it's like, a lot of it's like, maybe could have and maybe even should have been a cartoon. <laughs> but I'm glad it's not. I like that it's real because, um, you know, there's no reason it can't be just as absurd. But, um, you know, just like... <laughs> how big the crazy table is that the chairman yes. of the board sits out of the pharmaceutical car. And then they're like, when are we going to get the big table in here? So I have to cut the fucking tree down myself. <laughs> it's just so good. So funny. And, and speaking of the company and, and Don, his like house party is also, yeah. it's not a bar, but it's an incredible party scene. And the fact that 
that there's a second real party. <laughs> like yeah. he gets, he gets, uh, Chris gets like swept into a private room by like, like the henchman character. And then he gets like taken through a pool to just like a completely different party that has like a frog man in full <laughs> scuba gear for some reason. <laughs> also, he's like, Oh, this is the real party, Chris. And then the, the scuba <laughs> man just dives into the ornamental pond. <laughs> What does he say when they first introduced the crazy Lorne Michaels head of the pharmaceuticals company? He comes up, there's this big rigmarole. I don't want to reveal that gag. It was a pretty funny gag or whatever. But then he comes in and he, everyone's sitting at the big table and he asks everyone to leave. And then he just shouts out loud to no one, my empire is crumbling. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was laughing so hard. Be, I'm so glad that um that that uh, we we watched this because it was very um very cathartic in some weird ways. I guess. Um, I have a question for you both as the uh, the weird bystander who had not previously watched a bunch of kids in the hall. If there are the kid the kid outside the hall, yeah, real sicko. So if there are some avid watching movies at the bar listeners who themselves have decided to listen to this episode, even though they're not familiar with Kids in the Hall, what context would you recommend? Where should they start to, to complement this viewing? I guess you could just go and watch, um, go to YouTube and watch Dipping Areas. Oh, God, I love Dipping Areas. <laughs> dipping Areas. I also love saying it just because it's the funniest thing. Watch Dipping Areas. Um, yeah, watch Dipping Areas. Watch like $1,000. Yeah. Uh, the cause of cancer. The cause of cancer. Watch girl. Watch girl drink drunk. Watch um. Any Buddy Cole sketch. Any oh Buddy Cole. I would actually say Buddy Cole is a good place to start. Although Buddy Cole could be a little abrasive for some. But um, don't put don't put salt in your eye. I think don't put salt in your eye is a great place to start. I don't know. Just like surf around on YouTube and see if you like it because it. That's what it was like for me. It was like I guess you have a little bit more of control nowadays, but. They would play, I think, an ep- I think they would play two episodes back to back. I felt like it was on for like hours at a time in like the middle of the day. Oh, oh, maybe, maybe it was even like that, where it was just you could keep watching and watching it. Maybe I only caught an hour of it, but I remember just being like that, where it was like, not all of them made me laugh super hard, but a lot of them made me laugh really, really hard. <laughs> and a lot of them I still think of as like the best sketch comedy like ever made so i think you can kind of like get on youtube and jump around or i think it's all on amazon now too because yeah, of, uh, you can like sc- scan around there and former guest of the show rebecca alter by now i think has published her like if you want to get into the kids in the hall start here article on vulture that i helped her pick definitive oh, cool. sketches for i'm excited nice. to check that out dipping areas nice and for me, spy models, like the third Francesca Fiore sketch is also really important. Yeah, I, you know, it's so funny. Also, I'm like, so much of, and this showed up in the movie a lot, is Bruce McKillah, Bruce McKillah, Bruce McCullough's musical ability. Mm-hmm. These are the days I know. Oh, um, yeah. th- these are the days I know is probably the thing that maybe really resonated with me first at the time, because I was just like, what a dumb, that and like, what is it? Forty Helens agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that all that shit. There, yeah. There's also like, this isn't really the right answer to the question, but there's also like, 
the deeper you go, the weirder it gets. There's like Buddy Cole has a book that's really fucking funny. Bruce McCullough has a couple of albums that are like solo stuff or whatever, but there's crossover and um yeah, they're just so talented. I just really do and like they're all well now obviously they're all working with their thing, but they all in some way or the other did keep working mm-hmm. like over the years. More relevant now than ever. Um, did you want to talk a little bit more about how cool the soundtrack is? Um, did you? Yeah, I think like the soundtrack, the whole soundtrack <laughs> is on um, is on Spotify, so you can listen to that there. And it has like it has the sad song that Bruce does and the happy happiness pie. It's got Paul Bellini's song in it too, "Long Dark Twenties." I was listening to that a lot today. Paul Bellini is the guy in a towel. Yep. Just. Touch Paul Bellini is another one that you should watch at some point. <laughs> but they worked really closely with Matador to make the soundtrack. And Matador was like, we're going to give you like B-sides that we think like fit your vibe. Like That's the, really sick. Like all the problems they had with Matador. Yeah. All the problems they had with Paramount was like the opposite treatment at Matador. It's like, I don't know. We get this. Yeah. I what you're saying, Alan, like they're alt. So the alt label got it. <laughs> It should have been a CD, this movie. <laughs> <laughs> a CD I mean, with an accompanying cartoon. CDs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and and also like the one song that's not like off Matador on the uh, in the movie is during <laughs> during the like press conference about opening the coma hospital. They use. Tom Jones's cover of Kiss by Prince, <laughs> which is one of the more ungodly things I've ever seen with my eyeballs. On this podcast, I have spoken in favor of Tom Jones's cover of Burning Down the House that he did with uh, the Cardigans. I think that goes like so far, far, so far through cringe or whatever that it's good again. Nice. Kiss does not. Kiss stops right in cringe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you have to watch the video at some point because it's just like just for the just for the typography involved. It's a very interesting, uh, like sort of cigar ad looking video. Love it. Love 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 fonts back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> Did we get it all? Is there anything else you want to say before we go? Vote. Yeah, and if you have an opportunity to do it more than once, I would recommend that. Early and often. Vote often. Get out there. Pokemon, go to the polls. Oh, God. And if you like this movie the same week, or like within a week, the MST3K movie also came out and bombed. So if you're looking for a double feature. Oh, wow. Interesting. Forgot that's, about that one. That's an I, I option. Did, I didn't know there was a mystery science movie. It's shorter than a normal episode. Okay, sus. <laughs> I, gotta, I need to solve that mystery. All right. Um, Alan, if people haven't already followed you from the last episode you were on, where should they go to do so? You can follow me at Totally Alan on Twitter. Sick. Or around the, the city. Creep around. The environs of Los Angeles. Just because the uh, big wangs in Hollywood closed doesn't mean Alan's not there. (laughs) Big wangs always open in my heart. (laughs) Damn. Um, There there used to be a mic there. I used to go there all the fucking time. Oh, shit. Yeah. With the big wangs on um, 
The one. Wenga? The one. Yeah, it's the one where like Trey next door Trejo's. Is yeah. Now. Yeah. And where the poutine place used to be. R.I.P. Hmm. Anyway, um, the podcast has a Twitter movie bar pod. The podcast has an Instagram movie bar underscore pod. And I have a Twitter, Bethy BSQU. What are you, Thomas? Uh, I have a Twitter as well. You can follow me at uh, handsome, the word as it's spelled, uh, underscore pal, P-A-L. You're going to love it over there. You're going you're gonna to like the way you look. I guarantee it. And mm. as always, uh, it's a pill that gives worms to ex-girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, that was my favorite part in the movie. He's <laughs> <laughs> stupid. I love Incredible. It. All right. Bye. Watching Movies at the Bar is edited by Colin Jenkins with show art by Lindsay Farrell and that theme you hear at the top, that's Quentin Mulligan. <laughs> <laughs>